Was the 1980s the best decade for video games? Put your quarters up and wait to find out. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Welcome to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of idiots. I am one of those idiots. My name is Will, and joining me as always is my friend and co-host, Ray. Happy to be here. How's your day going? My day is fantastic, as every day is, because I'm me. (laughs) Later, we'll be speaking with a guest who will help us prove that the 1980s were the best for video games when we speak with Mike Gideon, the owner of Video Game Connection and organizer of the Classic Console and Arcade Gaming Show. But first, 80s news. So, some sad news to report at the beginning of 80s news here. I don't know if you heard, but uh, the actor who played the dad on Ralph, that's a different puppet. The actor who played the dad on Alf, Max Wright, has passed away. Yes, I did hear that, and that is sad news. Uh, Max Wright was 75 years old when he died. He was, he had been battling cancer for some time. Um, In addition to playing the dad on Alf, he popped up in a number of different things throughout the 1980s. He was sort of a face that you would recognize and uh, not necessarily be able to uh, place or name. I remember him from, I'm going to give you a real rare 80s gem here, see if you remember this, a TV show that was really short-lived. I think there was probably not even a full season, maybe it was only like eight episodes, called The Misfits of Science. I do remember that. You do? Okay. I do remember that. So this was like a knockoff X-Men. Yeah. It was, you know, and it, obviously the X-Men property existed, but um, so it was, a, it was a show where there were these, and I'm doing this mostly from memory, a show where young folks had different superpowers, much like the X-Men were brought together, you know, to be some bad, uh, some, some unit fighting bad guys. Um, and Max Wright, I think, was a mentor, or he was a guy who worked for the government that was sort of... Um, I don't know if he was the Charlie of the Charlies and the Angels to their misfits or not. But anyway, Max, Max Wright was on that show as well. And there were a couple of other folks on that show that you, I'm guessing you don't remember now. One of them was one of the, was later cast years ago, probably a, almost a decade later, on Friends. Huh. Was it, um, I want to go with Joey. No. <laughs> Damn it. I thought I said she, even. I thought yeah, I said I she was. I'm always wrong okay. on these. Yes. What? You had a, I don't know. I'm always wrong What on is these. one out of six? You had a one out of six chance, whatever that is, mathematically. That's like 12%. Um, you're probably <laughs> right about that. Um, Courtney Cox was on Misfits of Science. Uh, that was my second guess. I think this was, I don't know if this was pre or post her dancing in that Bruce Springsteen video. Remember oh, that? yeah, Dancing in the Dark. But anyway, Courtney Cox was on it. And also, and I'm going to have to look up the gentleman's name. He's a very tall gentleman, and his his special ability on Misfits of Science. Oh, gosh. Damn it. You're not letting this go. Um, I'm going to have to look it up. But uh, on the Misfits of Science, one of the one of the characters on there was a very tall, tall person who could uh, shrink was his super ability, much, much like, you know, uh, other folks. But he was played by Kevin Peter Hall, who in real life was a very tall gentleman. So tall, in fact, that he played not only Harry in Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> oh, yeah. But he also played another 80s gem coming up, The Predator. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Do you remember who was originally played The Predator in The Predator movie? <laughs> no. 
Okay. I remember Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. And I believe, was it Carl Weathers? Carl Weathers was in it. That's And they did the, the whole, like, yeah, the- embrace. Yeah. Yeah, that famous... It's such an 80s. Like, everything about the 80s <laughs> movies is in that one moment where they grab yes. hands and they're flexing and they're mm-hmm. oiled. And their arms are just huge. Yeah. And they're they're all oiled up and shiny, <laughs> yes. veins bulging. But the, the uh, original Predator, and this is obviously, this didn't make the film, but the original Predator was a very different design, and they thought they were going to be able to... Um, you know, added in with uh, some special effects, but the, the 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 person in the suit that was playing it was Jean Claude Van Damme, and he was hired because of his you know flexibility and his sort of you know ability to move. But he it turns out he thought he was going to be the star of the movie, but in reality, and you can find this footage online, he's wearing this uh, like uh, cook outfit. <laughs> And I would say an excellent guess, but that was a terrible guess. He's wearing like a suit that clearly they were getting like green screen out after with this, uh, it's like unusually <laughs> shaped head. It's really hilarious. And um, in any case, they realized very quickly this movie was going to be terrible because if the monster itself looked like so silly. Uh, and he was replaced. Um, I think they paused filming and then they got Stan Winston Studios and I believe to make the... Uh, the new Predator uh, design, and they got Kevin Peter Hall. This is all tied to Max Wright, by the way. Oh, oh, definitely. Very sad that he passed away. Um, but but in, any, in any case, uh, that's, a, that's a, this is a bonus. That's a bonus 1980s thing for you there. Lots of goodies buried in there. Do you remember watching Elf? Oh, I liked Elf. Yeah. Because he would eat cats. And there's one thing I dislike is cats. Mm. So if yes. there's a character on TV who's <laughs> eating cats, there are... Right on my top ten list. Now I'm struggling to think of another character that <laughs> on any show <laughs> that's ever eaten a cat. I feel like there is one there. Okay. All right. Hang on. Hang on. In the blob. Was it... I don't know if it was was the Steve McQueen blob or one of the remakes where one of the first victims of the blob is a cat. I'm the, pretty uh, sure. Uh, that might be the... What is that? I the think, 88 remake with Matt yeah, Dillon? Uh, Kevin Dillon, actually. Or Kevin Dillon, yeah. I think yeah, that's It might have been that one. Well, if anybody feels like uh, talking to us about it, they can hit us up on Facebook and let us know. Yeah, or if you know where the which which if you can think of any other creatures or characters that eat cats, Ray could check out those shows as well. Do they have to only be from yeah. the eighties, though? I wonder. Hmm. No, no, you got to go eighties. You know, oh, yeah, what's okay. his name? Gordon Melmac. Go- yes, Gor- Gordon. Well, the, he was from the uh, Gordon Sh- Shumley, I think was his name. Now you got me looking it up here. Hang yeah, on, check see. that out because. He was from uh, Melnat. That's you know what? Now I think he might be my favorite character of all time since he eats cats. Okay, let's see. His uh oh it's funny when I Google Alf, <laughs> the first thing that comes up is Wikipedia saying Alf is a given name and surname. For alien life form. Yeah. Uh, it's an old Norse name for elf. Oh, this reminds me. Did you know the guy who did the soundtrack for Alf? His name is Alf. No. It uh, is. You know, I kind of remember that from the credits now. That yeah. That would be a thing. It's real. Huh. So, I mean, if you're going to hire somebody for your show, and it's called yeah. Alf, hey, we need music. Who, Who do we call? I know why. Call okay. Alf. Oh, gosh, Ray. You know, I feel so terrible now. Of course, we don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg in this instance, but Alf, do you remember why he was named Alf? Yeah, Alien Life. Oh, Alf. okay, you got me. I, I said forgot. it like while you were... Where oh, you did? Where you were typing, oh, I boy. actually said that. Oh, boy. Okay, so you're... I knew you were clever and smart, but... Um, oh, you give me too much credit. All right, let's see. Alf. Um, I know his name's in here somewhere. I thought it was 
Gordon yeah, it's, it's Gordon. Melmac. No, that's where you're getting, you're getting his name uh, uh, and from, his planet he's, mixed up. Yeah, he's from the planet Melmac. Okay, um, but his name was you know let me just do it this way. Gordon, Gordon. Shumway. Yeah, good, yeah. That's what I said earlier before I Googled, yeah. and you weren't listening. Right. Gordon yeah. Shumway <laughs> is his name uh, from Melmac. Right. So yeah, I, I remember liking Alf too. Although you know, and it reminds me uh, how many puppet properties were popular in the 80s. You, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing a show that had a puppet in it. I mean, the Muppets began in the late 70s, but mm-hmm. between the Muppets and Alf and Dark Crystal, which we talked about, and, uh, you know, the uh, spinning image puppets that were in the Genesis uh, Land of Confusion video. And then we had oh, yeah. we had some other knockoff spinning image show on TV, DC Follies. It was uh, Puppets were huge in the 80s. Puppets were cool in the 80s, but he's the only one that ate cats, so he wins. Very good. Okay, on other... Except, for, except for Labyrinth. <laughs> I'll give them... Did someone eat a cat in Labyrinth? No, but... Oh, they had puppets. Those puppets were pretty darn cool. Right. And those were also Jim Henson puppets, yeah. right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, Alf is cool. He eats cats. And that's all wow. you really need to know. I think all we're learning, uh, you know, that, our that usual I, thesis I aside. <laughs> yes. In another 80s news, uh, in a timely bit, considering the guest we'll be speaking with in a little moment, is that I just came across this story yesterday, is that... Um, there's a rare Atari 2600 game on sale for eBay right now for $90,000. Was it E.T.? No, it was, well, you're close. You're very close. The game is actually called Extraterrestrials, but it's not related to that E.T. game that, uh, you know, was... Uh, they, dunk, they dug up in the... Yeah, right. The the, dump there's, and... there's that interesting uh, documentary. Wasn't uh, that New Jersey? No, it's in New Mexico. Ah, New Mexico. You knew how to new in it. I had, yeah, I, I it wasn't one new. of the old states. You knew it was one of the new ones. Yeah, landfill. Um, and I don't know if there was there was that interesting documentary um, by Ernest Klein and somebody else. I think uh, in any case, in case called Atari Game Over, which oh yeah yeah you know they're going to see if it's real or not. Uh, I won't spoil the ending. <laughs> um, but it wasn't that game. But uh, it's a game called Extraterrestrials, and it actually was made by like a um, uh, a vendor or a company that you you wouldn't be familiar with. And uh, so, what happened with Atari games? You know, at the begin with, we had Atari twenty six hundred cartridges, and the games were by Atari. Then we had some other bigger companies come along, like Activision was a big one, and iMagic or Imagic. I'm not sure how to say it was another another one. And then you had a lot of smaller companies that made games. Ultimately, as a result of all of these video games, you only had a few that really were successful and, because there were so many. And so a lot of times you didn't f- hear about these smaller games. And so here's one of them, Extraterrestrials, um, which you know I hadn't heard about until I read this article, but um, right now it's being referred to as the rarest video game ever. Obviously, that depends on one's willingness to buy it. Yep. Whether it's worth $90,000 or not is going to come down if someone actually is going to be willing to uh, buy it. Yeah, I would agree with that. But um, we've seen other rare video games before. Um, I don't know that it's ever anything been as quite as valuable as this. You know, and I guess this sort of segues into our topic of, today, of, of the day, which is uh, video games and video game consoles. Did you, speaking of the Atari 2600, did you have a video game console at home when you grew up? I did have the 2600. I had me some Asteroids. Mm-hmm. I had Pong, Combat. Mm-hmm. I had all the basic games. I love that system. That's a great system. And then it goes into Adventure and those games, E.T. and all those. So, yeah, that's a great console. If you can get your hands on one, you should go out and buy one. Yeah, and they actually are around. Um, some of them are more, worth more money than others. 
Um, if you remember, Sears had their own uh, arrangement with Atari. So they had the Sears, I think it was called Telegames, which was branded Sears. I think those are worth actually more money nowadays. And then there was, was it a Telegames one that was all black, which people refer to now as the Vader, um, which I think those are even worth even more money. Um, the first video game console I remember having was something called the Odyssey. It was by Magnavox. It was in the late 70s. I think the first one came out in the early 70s. So maybe it was the early 70s or mid-70s that we got it. Honestly, I can't think offhand how we could afford it because we didn't have very much money. Although I would say that my dad, um, as long as I've known him, which is my entire life as long as I can have a memory, has always been interested in electronics. So it seemed like whenever he could save extra money, it would always go to a new stereo or turntable or, or uh, in this case, a Magnavox Odyssey. It was a very interesting system in the sense that um, it was really crude, uh, Pong, you know, type graphics. And to make the, them interesting, you had a plastic overlay that you would stick onto your CRT, uh, you know, glass screen. And just the static electricity. I don't remember those cathode ray tube te- TVs. They had static. Like if you touch the glass of it, you'd get that static sort of shot mm-hmm. going. Yeah, I remember that. Well, that's, that's what kept the plastic on there. And that would have the image of the, you know, graphics. I don't think they even had sound. So when the 2600 came along, that was like, you know, just... Uh, Light mind. years. Yes. We've seen the future, and it's combat. <laughs> um, yeah, and then you mentioned adventure, which, of course, you know, that's uh, the, I'm going to use a fancy word here, the progenitor. I think that's how you say it. But it was, it's the godfather of Easter eggs, certainly in video games, is, you know, famously an uh, adventure. Yes, and the entire premise of Ready Player One, I believe. R- right, yes. Specifically, um, that's one of the big... Uh, challenges, I guess, is related to the fact that... Um, yeah, I, I think he wrote the entire book based on that <laughs> based one on moment adventure. in time. Yeah. He rebooted Adventure and turned it... We already have the Adventure movie. It's Ready Player One. But yeah, that was the first game, uh, to my knowledge, that had something hidden in it. And at the time, and, and for folks that don't know, there's something in the game that's hidden that if you can find it and bring it back to a certain spot, you see the name Warren Robinette, who was the name of the creator of the game. Because at the time, Atari did not credit any of their uh, game creators specifically. You'd only know about that, you know, reading in an Atari Age magazine or something like that, uh, who the creators were. Activision did a better job where they actually uh, would then, uh, you know, actually give credit. But I think it's probably because Activision was created by a bunch of programmers who left Atari. Yeah, that sums it up. Like, we're sick of this! (laughs) Yeah. We're going to talk with our guest about whether the 80s were the best era for... for, um, uh, video game consoles and arcade games, video games, etc. But um, so many video, I think we know in a sense because so many game systems came out in the 80s. You know, the 20, the Atari had a few, but you also had your Intellivisions, ColecoVision. That was a thing, right? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, a, I'm just going to, okay. Uh, audience, don't let, Ray can't hear me right now. I'm going to just add words to the, uh, in front of the word vision and see if Ray will go along with me that it's a gaming system. And we had that uh, Amoeba Vision. Remember that one? That was a good one. Ah, sure. And Laser Vision? Laser. Wait a second. I don't think that's a real one. You doubt my knowledge? <laughs> I'll go along with it. But there were so many choices, and one just sort of one-upped the other um, for the most part. And towards the, uh, I guess, the mid or the later in the decade, we, you know, uh, we finished off strong with um, uh, Nintendo. You know, I think the Millennials... That's the generation after us, right? Yes. The millennials um, would think Nintendo was probably born in the 90s or maybe even the 2000s, but no, we had that in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, we definitely had that in the 80s. 
So um, we were uh, had the Mario Brothers and et cetera there. Oh, we had plenty of games in the, the 80s. We had uh, Tecmo Bowl, uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, obviously, like you said, Mario. So these games, uh, Tecmo Bowl, Punch-Out, these were games that were in the arcades and then... And then moved to yeah, the and then moved to the console home system, which is um, you know that's a huge part of pop culture. Where if you have a boxer who moves into a video game, yeah. like Mike Tyson, that's a big deal. That had never been done before. Yeah, yeah, um, and that, that was they did that on Nintendo. So you're talking about Mike Tyson's Punch Out, right? Yeah, Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Yeah, and before that, you remind me, there was a game that we play on the computer, one on one basketball which was larry bird versus dr j oh, there you go okay whatever that that doesn't have any relevance right. where are we going where are we going with this i've lost the i've lost the nugget well, what else about video games anything else that we, was interesting i don't can, know i don't know any of that was interesting yet well, doesn't matter when we talk to mike it's, it's better so before we talk to mike i i want to i'm challenging you to an old style arcade duel so I get to pick the game then, right? Yes, let's fire up the uh, old arcade cabinet. You can pick any old console or arcade game hmm. you want to play. I'm going to go with Frogger. Okay, Frog Homicide. Yes, run across the street like a lunatic, jump on logs. Okay, fine. Frogger it is. You're going down. All right, so uh, we will join you just in a moment at the uh, Idiot's Arcade. Here we are now outside of the Rumpus Room mm-hmm. in the, the uh, Idiot's Arcade. Okay, for the ultimate showdown, we've been so inspired by Mike and the upcoming CCAG that we are ready to compete here for the ultimate in, what are we playing, Frogger? Yes, two men enter, one man leave. Or two frogs enter, one gets flattened, and the other one makes it to the other. What's on the other side of this road that this frog is, like, dying to get to? All right, so um, should we fire this up? You go first? So what are we going to do? Right. Say, um. Uh, how are we going to determine who wins this? Most points. Okay, most points. All right. For anybody who doesn't know what Frogger is, you're going to run across a road <laughs> trying not to get run over. There's a snake. You don't want to get bit by the snake. <laughs> There's floaty turtles, but you jump on them. Sometimes they disappear, and then you got logs. They're and, unreliable turtles. And then you got to jump in what I assume is uh, some kind a of hole. frog house? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a bio- Look at me. I'm a biologist. It's a frog house. Looks like a frog house. So, yeah, that's the game. You run, you jump, try to stay out of the the water, and you get points and win. Cool. All right. So, yeah, and if you don't know what Frogger is, why are you listening to this show? Anyway, <laughs> this show is about 80s nerd stuff and other things. All right, cool. So, all right, all right you go first. All right, I'm going to give it a go here. I'm sure this is going to make for genius podcasting. Oops. And then he died almost instantly. The only thing that was left you saying, watch this, right before you <laughs> died in one second. All right, he's back at the starting he's point now. He's got damn steamrollers. Yeah, as I say, what are those? Because they don't look like trucks. They've got like treads, like a tank. And then you've got drag. You know, a lot of these cars in this Frogger game are not street legal. Well, who's that pink frog? All right, now Ray just Woo! went through it so quickly. He's definitely a ringer. I knew this was up. I knew this something was up. He was playing himself down too much. I know him too well. Uh, yeah. Look at this. Now he's crushing. He just went through twice. Yeah. All right. He, he plunged, but he's already got over 1,000 points. He's got plenty of time, plenty of lives. All right. Oh, he's getting overconfident. He's getting too cocky now. He's getting to him. His hubris. He's, it's going to be his What's downfall. Uh, it's a fancy word for you being cocky. Oh. There you go. I know you're going to say, why didn't I just say you're being too cocky? Because I could just say hubris. 
All right, he's back on the turtles now. Who is that pink frog? Is that like a poison frog or something? No, that's a bonus point frog. So if you get that all right, frog, I got eighteen right, twenty. I, I'm definitely not going to beat that. That's that's really good. That was really good. That's really good. All right, so okay, you got to push it first and then press the button. Yep. What if this is how? All right, Will's running back and forth. Oh, he just got hit by a steamroller. Yes. Here he goes. He's about to get crushed by a steamroller again. No, no, he made it through the cars. He jumped on a turtle. He's on a log. I'm living my life like... And he hit the wrong button again. Hang on, hang on, hang on. What do I got to do? Not die. You died. All right, got to hold it. You got to hold it and press the button. Mm-hmm. The yeah. Right, I was definitely He got it. run over by a fancy blue I'm car without orange windows. <laughs> I'm going to get that pink frog. Oh, oh no, the, the turtles so, disappeared and dumped them in the are lake. not reliable. I wonder if as a species that's a problem. I don't know. Oh, he ran headfirst into the water. That's it? That's it? And uh, 260. It's not even close. This, this was, was ridiculous. I knew you were setting me up. I didn't set you up. You? I, I haven't played Frogger in decades. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's, that went horribly wrong. I probably shouldn't have challenged you at all since you crushed me. Totally. Domination. So uh, let's just change the subject and uh, talk to Mike Gideon. today began playing video games as most idiots did during the 1970s. Unlike most of us, however, he turned that passion for vintage games into a lifestyle. He's the owner and manager of the Video Game Connection in Cleveland, Ohio, where you can purchase console and arcade games from decades ago through today. But he's also one of the organizers of the classic console and arcade gaming show, a convention where you may finally find that air raid cart you've been hunting for. Please welcome Mike Gideon. How you doing, Mike? How you doing there? I'm doing good, thanks. Uh, my, my first question for you today, and it just occurred to me right before we got on the phone here, is are you just a hoarder? Well, it's what I uh, <laughs> call collectivitis. Um, not quite a hoarder, uh, but I do collect stuff, and it's like a hard thing to control. And it's kind of like Pokemon. Once you get one, you got to get them all. And, uh, yeah, I started with Atari games, and it's progressed to now like arcade and pinball machines. So they get bigger and bigger and take up more space. <laughs> Yeah, it seems to me, you know, as I, as I read about the psychology of collecting and collectors, and, and I didn't think of about you as a collector right. until, you know, moments before we were, were speaking, but I thought, I think you found a way to turn something that other folks' families might have a problem with and do an intervention into a, into a business. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I mean, you sell some portion of your merchandise, you know, they don't question you too much. Right, right. Yeah, when, when a hobby becomes your career, you know, it's not really work. You're having fun going to work, you know. You're enjoying it, so you can excel at it without even trying. Do you? Uh, sorry, Ray, do you have a question? Uh, actually, I just wanted to ask: Do you actually play a lot of the games while you're at work during the day? Uh, no, I'm usually doing work, cleaning stuff, getting stuff ready, making notes for employees, and they they shouldn't be playing too much either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's times where it's dead that I might pop in something or, or test something out. I always love when I have to test out like one of the guitars. You know, that's fun. You know, playing a little Guitar Hero. Oh, nice. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't play too much at the store now. What uh, what would be your favorite '80s retro game? Oh, uh, you talking console or arcade? Um, let's go arcade. Um, arcade, I mean, like the shooters. Uh, my favorite's kind of a rare one called Mad Planets. It's kind of hard to emulate because mm-hmm. you have a spinner knob and like a trigger shooter like Gorf. But Mad Planets, I liked Gyrus, uh, Sinistar, uh, Tempest, Galaga. Um, I even have like a 
Galaxians, the one that came out for a Galaxian right here in my living room. So you, yeah, like mainly shooters. Yeah, so you like a lot of the space shooter games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's what a shooter was back then. Yeah, it was a space yeah. shooter, not like a common modern day shooter where it's like a war game. Right. You know? I'm a big Golden Axe fan. That's my game at the arcade. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a little later. That's like a JAMA game. <laughs> yeah. it, it occurs to me that too that it's possible. I think that the and I'm not a psychologist by any means. And I'll have to. We're going to have to find one to, to to bounce some of these theories off of. But it's possible that maybe the reward, you know, that sort of the endorphins or those good hormones that those chemicals that we get for playing a game, maybe similar to collecting in yep. a sense that you know that sort of uh, quest going on a quest and then ultimately yeah. getting the treasure in a game is similar to maybe finding that rare, uh, you know, cart or cabinet that you've been looking for. I agree. It goes back to like Atari Adventure, getting that golden chalice and bringing it home. <laughs> right. That is yep. a great game. Or yeah, if like even, one of my favorite Atari's, yeah. Or if even better, of course, the original Easter egg, you know, where we get to see Warren Robinette's name <laughs> yep. there. Yep, I found that. <laughs> I think I learned about that in, um, what was the Atari magazine that came out in the 70s? They had that little, it was some... I don't think I don't know if it was produced by Atari or not, but anyway, that was in there, and then that spread like wildfire yeah, through the, our elementary school. I think it was the Atari Age magazine. They printed that, you know, but it was probably in print after people because I remember like writing in saying I found it and stuff like that. And but I'm sure by that time it went to print. Many people had found it. Oh, I was to say maybe I learned it because you wrote in. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, well, somebody wrote in. You know, <laughs> I remember when I was younger, I try and take credit, but I'm sure it wasn't me. I'm sure it's someone else. So the thesis of our show here, Mike, is that the 80s were the best decade for pop culture. No question. We'll fight your decade. Yeah, I agree. Music is the best in the 80s, yeah. So, yeah the, there's another one. Okay, there you go. We put that one. That's it. We're done. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> yeah. So do you think it's... <laughs> Music, games, all this stuff. Yeah, say, but, but games, do you think... Uh, what do you think about as far as... Um, obviously, games started in the... You know, the console games started in the late 70s, came to prominence in the 80s. Right. Um, so do you feel that same way that you do about music, uh, that, that the 80s also were the best for gaming, arcade or console-wise? Um, yeah, because the games and console both, you could just get into quickly. The uh, the rules weren't too tough. They're fun. Uh, they're hard to master, but easy to you know get into. Nowadays, you got to wait for update, a download, and install, and by the time you're ready to play, you're like, all right, time for lunch, you know? You point out a lot of great things about those games at the time that didn't occur to me. And now thinking, you remind me of some of the downsides of today's game, including microtransactions, but maybe quarters were on microtransactions then, because some of those games, it seemed as it, as it progressed, certainly the games progressed, yeah. that the, um, they got smarter as far as develop them, developing them in such a way that you'd have to get another quarter. You couldn't afford to finish it. Yeah, you're talking like when, when it became like Dragon's Lair and stuff like that, Arcade Times? Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking That of. game is impossible. Yeah, yeah, that's the quarter muncher. No one ever beat that. <laughs> so maybe that maybe those were the original microtransactions. I don't know. Do you find that um, younger people, so, you know, we're, we're, we're of the same generation. Do you find if folks of other generations that didn't grow up loving the 80s right. are, are coming to classic console games and arcade games? Oh, yeah. A lot of times it's their, their parents showing them what, what they enjoyed as a kid, and uh, it's kind of like history, you know, and the, the kids really enjoy it, and they, they get into the retro games too. Um, so, yeah, they're playing them, they're enjoying them, you know, they like the new stuff as well, but I, I don't think they hate the retro games, just it's, you know, a lot of it is hard to find or they don't have it, you know, so they have to find an entire 2600 pop in some games. They enjoy them, you know. You know, I just saw an article today come out about, I don't know if you saw this, but it was about another, you know, you hear these stories from time to time, a rare 2600 cart that is on eBay for worth a uh -huh. ridiculous amount of money. The latest 
uh, one is now is extraterrestrials, not to be confused with the game that supposedly sunk uh, Atari. It wasn't that bad. (laughs) (laughs) I I liked E.T. on the console. It was okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like falling in those pits all the time, but, you know. Yeah, that was kind of rushed, but it was was okay, though. But on eBay, this this, uh, extraterrestrials game is going for $90,000. Nice. Have you ever had anything in the store quite as rare as that or... Air Raid or one of the other carts that uh, are hard to find? Yeah, not that rare as a single cart. Um, at one time, I did have either a case or two of the Nintendo Cheatham and 2s, uh, brand new sealed. Uh, I think they'll sell for like two to $3,000 each now. Wow. And I had quite a few of them. Uh, sold half with a, with a friend, and I was selling them in my store for nineteen ninety five each back then. <laughs> I bought them for $6, and my thing was always triple your money, you win, you know? Yeah. But, you know, if I had hung on to those, I could have bought another house. <laughs> <laughs> so you made yeah. somebody very wealthy. Um, well, yeah, some people have. I mean, a whole bunch of people, you know, that bought them for nineteen yeah. ninety-five, or I think the most they made was 60 or 80 bucks. Those people, if they hung on to them, yeah, they can sell them for two or three grand right now. And uh, at the, uh, again, we mentioned that you're the, one of the organizers of the classic console and arcading, arcade game show. And I should mention to folks that they should visit ccagshow.com for info. You should know that it's on July 20th in the Cleveland area, and you can uh, check out that website for more info. Um, how about there? I know there's a lot of vendors that come and sell games. Are there folks there that uh, have those rare carts? I, I've seen some. Uh, I don't get a chance to look as much as I would like because I'm kind of busy running the show, you know. Uh, but I've seen some definite awesome games. Like I know there's like a Nintendo World Championship card or two there in the past. Um, so you definitely see some, you know, good rare stuff. You never know what you're going to see every year. It's different. Is there any uh, so. policing of that? I can't imagine you could monitor what vendors are selling necessarily, but I see so many times on eBay's people selling knockoffs of, you know, Atlantis 2 or something like that. Right. Um, where they've simply slapped a sticker on a different cart. Um, is, is there any way or sort of reporting or awareness you're able to have of vendors or maybe you've been working with the same vendors for years so you, you don't have that problem, but to make sure that everything is uh, on the up and up? Right. Um, well, we have a security staff that looks around, and we do allow reproduction games. It's just kind of something that become, you know, has become of age. You know, people that want to just play games, they could find it, you know. Uh, people that are selling a reproduction game as an original, original price. Now that we are big time against, and anything that is done in my store, my show like that, would be kicked out. I even sell uh, some reproductions at my store, but they're clearly marked, they're distinguishable, they have notches in them, uh, the labels are different, so they have to be definitely distinguishable and marked as reproduction. I see. Very good. Yeah, I'm hoping, I'm going to be there, and I'm hoping to find a Vectrex. I've always, and it's. Oh, nice. Yep. It's one of those things that a friend of mine had. And it was just, you know, for those that don't know, it looks like a little arcade cabinet. Yep. It has the uh, vector graphics like the uh, Star Wars arcade game had um, in Tempest. And uh, I, I, I was such an envy of, of uh, I envied my friend for this one particular thing he had. Um, so now I want to find it. Yep. And I, th- that's, that I read is a lot of reason folks do collect things is something you couldn't get as, as a child yep. for some reason, you know, your parents couldn't afford it, et cetera. You try to get it as an adult. Yep. I wanted that for Christmas, and uh, it was a little too, too much out of the price range, so I got, you know, something else. But since then, I've probably bought a couple dozen Vectrex machines. I have, like, a few currently, and I have a, uh, it's a, a Vectrex Mini K. They actually had a, a, a rare um, coin-operated bar top Vectrex, like, miniature arcade machine. So those are kind of cool. That would look great in the rumpus room right here. <laughs> right. <in the> <laughs> well, you know, 
and that makes well. And Mike, so how do you feel then about um, like arcade one up and these companies that are making these you know three quarter machines mm. or smaller? Uh, well, the arcade one ups, I would say, uh, I haven't really played them, but I just know the build quality is bad. I've just you know heard stories. I actually had on pre order when they first started coming out uh, a pre order for the centipede, and even before they were out, there were some on demos and the control panel colors were just coming off. And I don't want to buy something I have to put in work, you know, shellacking and putting covers. And now they have covers that cover the OLEDs, but they're just, they're kind of cheaper made. You know, they're okay if, you know, you just want to buy, spend like the 75 hard bucks and buy one on the cheap, but I would not pay retail myself for one of those. Yeah, see, Ray, at Walmart, they have these things for sale every now and then. Well, I've seen them. We could fit probably yeah, three yeah. in our studio here, like right here. Yeah, maybe. yeah. I'll sit on top of one if we can get six in here. <laughs> yeah, you're better off just getting a nice... Uh, JAMA arcade cabinet, putting in a multi-board, yeah. and they have tons of stuff to play for about the same price as a retail one of those. You know, they didn't... Uh, I heard much of what you're saying about the one-ups, and then they I saw that they've now licensed Star Wars with the original, you know, yoke controller. Right, And they've right. got my attention, finally. Yeah. Well, hopefully now the build quality's up there, and it won't, you know, the paint won't come off. That would be ideal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, Mike, uh, because of your uh, love and interest and uh, immense knowledge of video games, I'm going to have, have a little test for you. Sure. And I hope these sounds come through okay on the phone here. But I've got three video game sounds I'm hoping that you might be able to identify. Okay. Are you up for it? Sure, we'll give it a try. Okay. You better have picked, like, the top-notch <laughs> ones because it's... I'll give you a... When I do trivia, I take the top-notch stuff. <laughs> so you better right. not screw yeah. him. Okay, Ray will be back to doing the trivia questions after this, after I fail. Okay. I'll give you a, maybe a slight clue. I think these are in chronological order based on when they came out. Okay. And it's, and it's a mix of console and arcade. Okay. okay. Here's the first one. That's Pong. Yeah, it's an early Pong. So close. I'm sorry, we can't accept Pong. What? Not Pong for like the... We were looking for... We were looking out. for bowling. That was bowling? Bowling. Uh, it's the same <laughs> yes, sound as Pong. Which yeah, I think that, that, yeah, I think yeah. that's the same sound they used well, for Pong. Because yes. that was my guess, too. Was that, was that bowling on RCA Studio 2 or something? Yes! Oh, okay, you <laughs> yeah. redeemed yourself. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely That's my right. first machine, RCA Studio 2. But yeah, they repurpose sounds all the time. Yes, of course. I, I, I knew that would be a hard I one. I told you the questions have to be obvious. Well, you know... I no, mean, no, that, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, and as they, of course, the early games had those uh, were limited in just, you know, what they could do without simple waveform or something, you know, that. Yeah. Uh, um, but, um, yeah, my first system was one of the Odysseys. It was the one that had Haunted House with the overlays. I think that was Odyssey 2. Uh, if you had um, overlays, that would have been the original Odyssey. So okay. It's a black and white, and you put color overlays on your TV. Yep. Yeah, that's the over- original Odyssey 1, yeah. The overlays looked so much better than the actual game. If you took the overlay off, they all looked like Pong. So Yeah, exactly. All right, I've got another one for you here. This is number two. The combat for 2600? Yes, of course. I knew that. See, they get e- the thing with video games, they get easier as they go along. That's another great game, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. My favorite was Ricochet. I liked Ricocheting, though. You know the mm-hmm. bullets off them. All right, final final one, Mike. And I, you know, they get easier. I should have probably gone in reverse. Right. <laughs> Maybe I'll edit it that way so it sounds harder as they go along. Ray would have done that because he's our trivia guy. Okay, here's right. the last clue here. Tempest. Yeah, it's 
Tempest, the Car- Arcade Tempest, one of my favorite. Oh bands. yes, yeah. of course. Yeah. That was another favorite of mine. Oh yeah. There's something very appealing about that. Uh, those vectors. They call vector. Yeah, vector yeah, vector graphics. graphics. Yeah. Those lines. Uh, I don't know why that is. It's so yeah, simple. I, I, yeah, I'm not a fan of those. I like Pitfall and stuff. Pick Pac-Man and Donkey yeah, Kong. I like my 2D graphics. Right. <laughs> I don't like too many colors in my games <laughs> I don't and sounds. like a lot of colors and stuff. That's how retro you are. Well, Mike, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. We'll make sure that uh, we remind our listeners to visit ccagshow.com to find out more about the classic console and arcade gaming convention, which is taking place again July 20th in the Cleveland, Ohio area. Uh, we will be there shopping and hoping to find some goodies for our rumpus room here as we continue to ha- get, get our, our 2600 set up on our old CRT over here. Yes. Thank you, Mike, for chatting with us today. We appreciate your time. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. Yep. Likewise. Thank you. Well, that's it, Bray. Uh, again, once again, you know, we had another expert in here that helped us uh, prove our overall thesis. How do you think that we did? I think he did a great job of proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that the 80s had the best video games that money could buy. I agree. And now, and with that, let's go play some Tecmo Bowl. I, oh, Bo Jackson, I'm getting him. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you next time on The 80s. See ya. Yeah.